Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Why, hello. Hi, and welcome to Near and Queer to My Heart. I'm your host, Amanda G. If this is your first time joining us, thank you. If you've been a long-time listener, also thank you. We love to have everybody. We love to get the word out about this podcast and about all the great performers that we have on here. This episode, we have Jay Tombstone, who I'll tell you more about in a little bit. He's amazing. We've really been trying to beef up our Twitter. I've been trying to do some polls. Last podcast, I did a poll about what story you wanted me to tell based on um, artists that I loved 20 years ago that I still can't get over uh, and that I still love and follow and that I'm still super excited about because um, I like to feel like I'm 16 all over again. But this time I did a different poll. I did a different poll. I, uh, I'm i sure, I don't know if you've seen by now, you've probably at least heard, uh, Hannah Gadsby, who's a queer comic out of Australia, has a special called Nanette on Netflix. And it's all the rage, as the kids would say, or the adults would say about the kids. I'm not really sure. Uh, but I was really excited to watch it. And, you know, I- I'm excited to hear people's opinions on it. So we asked on Twitter if people love it, hate it, or don't care. And 100% said they loved it, which made me really excited. And what I loved about it, and this doesn't spoil anything if you haven't seen it, I'm not a spoiler person, don't worry about that. Someone spoiled The Matrix for me once, thank you, Lori, and uh, I'm still not over it, and that came out in like 1999, so I'm not going to spoil anything for you. But uh, one thing that I really loved about this special is she's she's a stand-up, and she also um, you know delves into different uh, types of expression, of, of storytelling, of what some people would say is almost like a TED Talk kind of experience throughout the special. And I think it's really interesting because one of the things I've always talked about and we've talked about on the podcast before is when you tell a joke about a personal experience. Like I have a joke about coming out to my mom. It's a 20 second joke. It was not a 20 second experience, you know, and, and the the truth behind the whole story is not something you want to put on the stage or that's packaged nicely in a way that it can go on stage. And so that's, you know, that, that's what she's trying to get it in, in her special for part of it. And then also that's how we feel about this podcast. Like these are all queer performers. So you get to see a slice of them, a piece of them up on stage, but that's not the whole story. And even these, this podcast isn't the whole story, but it is more of the story and it is their voice telling their experiences. So I think it's really cool that people are starting to get, I guess, a little meta about it and think about it in that context. And also to put that in their specials where if you have a joke, or a story or whatever, that might not be the whole thing. That's just a piece of it, or it's just a way to package it nicely to deliver that information, you know, to the masses or in a way that you could put it on stage where people are going to respond to it. Uh, so I think that's really cool. And I think her 
goals are kind of aligned with, you know, what we've been trying to do here. And that's really exciting. And I'm, I'm always happy to see queer female comics out there doing their thing. Um, and I wish you the best of luck, Hannah Gadsby. And I love that you called your special Nanette after uh, another lady who we don't really hear much about. So maybe in your next special or uh, in your own podcast, or if you ever, you know, get on here, we can hear more about that choice because I think that's I think it's fascinating what people call their specials because you can call it anything you want in the world. What would you call your special? I thought about mine pretty often. I think covered in cat hair is probably going to be, you know, what it's called because that's just been my life. Uh, and that's a, a universal truth uh, for Amanda G. But, oh, we are actually here to talk about cats because Jay Tombstone, one of the things that I love about him is he has multiple cat shirts. Uh, when he performed on Greetings from Queer Mountain last, he had a shirt. It was cats uh, vomiting rainbows. Multiple cats vomiting multiple rainbows. It was awesome. And then when he came to my house uh, to record the podcast, he had another cat shirt, uh, which I'll, I won't spoil for you. I'll put it up on the Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and uh, wherever else you, you know, can access us. Uh, but I do love – I have a couple of cat shirts. Um, I have a cat water bottle that says, are you kidding me right meow? Um, I have a bunch of cat shirts with a bunch of really bad cat puns. Maybe I'll post some of those. Uh, but let's get to Jay. Jay Tombstone, amazing guy. So glad to have him. I think you're going to enjoy him too. He's hilarious and has some crazy ass stories. So let's get to Jay. Hi, Amanda. A lot of buttons. All buttons have been pushed. Yes, yes. We got fancy equipment now that I'm learning how to use. I finally learned how to edit the podcast. And then now I have a mixer that I have to learn how to do so we get better sound, which should help me not edit as much. And for anyone listening, let me tell you, there's a lot of buttons on that thing. <laughs> lesbians like buttons. Like, what can I say? I was raised by lesbians. I don't know. Do you know that? I was yeah. raised by my mom. Was a lesbian. You had a lot of buttons growing up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, so your you, your mom was lesbian. You, she had a partner grow, when you she was growing yeah, up. Yeah, when I was you ten years up? old, she kind of came out. My mom came out. And, okay. Um, uh, yeah, from, she moved her girlfriend in, and yeah, from then on, my mom was a lesbian. Although my parents never divorced, my mother and father never divorced. They lived uh, the rest of their lives married. Although my mother was openly gay. Are you from New Orleans? No, I'm from Mobile. Mobile, Alabama. What's it like growing up in Mobile? Oh, I don't recommend it. I don't recommend it at all. It was rough. I was, I was never, I, I said it the night, that I said it and I kind of have thrown it in little performances is that I didn't come out. They told me I was gay. Like at yeah. a young age, people were like, fag, fag, like before I even yeah. had the ability to kind of comprehend what it meant or anything, it was already at me, like. Yeah, I was going to ask you, because one of the questions that I used to ask all the performers, um, and I want to bring it back because one of our listeners was like, hey, you, st- you used to ask this question, you don't ask it anymore, why don't you ask it? And the question is, it's like a multi-layered question, where I don't just say, hey, when did you come out? I say, okay, when did you come out to yourself? When did you come out to your friends and family? And then when did you come out on stage? Because I feel like there's different layers, and we don't just have one coming out story. And I stopped asking it, because, you know, we've been doing this podcast, and I was like, I want to switch it up a little bit. I don't just want to ask <clears throat> the, you know, the same questions over well, and Oprah over does, again, and but... do it, Amanda, get, get your thing, <laughs> that's your thing. I mean, Oprah's got her, what's her, um, what do you know for sure? Yeah. I mean, like, so I'm like, yeah, you have your when you come I know, out. and then I realize, like, it's okay to have consistency. It doesn't, That's it doesn't your mean question. I'm like, like, it doesn't mean I'm being lazy as an interviewer no. because we're all, you know, as queer performers, we all have that process because at the very least, we are on stage being queer performers, so we're identifying that way. So I will ask, when you came out to yourself, that was after people kind of 
had been being yeah, um, an asshole I mean, to you? Yeah, I, I can. There's a few more layers to it. As as, as with, there's, there's the first time I remember I have such a clear memory of, of like going to my mom after school one day and I'd be all bullied and they're calling me a fag, fag and a sissy. And I went home and asked my mom what fag meant. I was like, what does fag mean, mommy? Yeah. And my mother said it in a very eloquent way. Of saying a fag is a way for people to be mean when they're talking about boys who like boys the way most boys like girls. It's something to that. And in that moment, it rang like, oh shit, what they're saying is true. If that's what fag means, that's what I am. Even though I hadn't said it to anybody else. Yeah. I hadn't. I didn't want to admit it to myself. I, I knew when my mother told me that definition, I was like, it's true. What they're that's saying it. is true. I am a fag. Oh no! Uh, so there was that thing. But even then, I, I continued to suppress it. Until I had my first boyfriend at like 17. And when he, when I f- had my first little boyfriend, I was all like, <laughs> heart, you know. And even then I had like sex with a few boys, with little dick suckings around the neighborhood. <laughs> I had one little sexual experience with this one particular guy who, who made my heart flutter. And I was like, oh. And that like, I realized not only was I attracted to him sexually, cause before I could like, like, oh, I'm just, I'm just fucking. It's just, it's yeah. just sex. It's, you cannot suck somebody's dick and not be gay. Yeah, you can separate. But once I like had that heart in, and I was like emotionally in love with this guy, and I like, I was like, oh shit, now I'm in love with the guy. I'm definitely a fag. Like, so um, yeah, there was like, and that was seventeen. So I, yeah. by seventeen, like even between the like whatever eight years old when I first asked and all that, there was like a strife of trying to like. Trying to deny it, but knowing it was true, and like your mom explained it so nicely, like that's a great way to explain it to a kid, and for you to be a kid and be like, "That is me," and then you're like, "Wait a minute!" All these other assholes at school are being right. dicks. Apparently, about it, yeah, so. right, and you know, like, and at that point, it was like my thought was like, so if I don't want people beating me up and like being mean to me. I need to stop being a faggot. That's what I need to do. That's, that's the terrible. answer. That's terrible for a kid to... Because that's, you know... Part <laughs> but to me, I mean, it was such a logical thing at the time. It's like, I should stop being a faggot. But I can't stop being a faggot. Yeah. That's what, yeah, it was a... It was a strifeful time, but... um, I always kind of knew who I was. I just was trying to deny it to the... Like, not even home. Like, the people in my home life, my mother and all those, they were all supportive. It was when I went out of our house that I had to, like... When did you come out to your mom? I never had to come out. Like, I mean... Like, she had that conversation with you? Yeah, like, my mother... And you guys just, like, met eyes and it was, like... Yeah, I asked my mother, like, when she was, you know, kind of old and getting sick. I asked her when she knew. And she's like, oh, when you were, like, three, I knew you were gay. She's like, you know, and she, she had her own sexuality issues. So, she was very tuned into it. I never had to have that, like, sit down, let yeah. me tell you something. Like, with my mom. never happened. Never happened. Did you ever try to date girls? Did you ever try to um, be the straight guy? I had a few sexual relationships. Like, the four females I've had sexual relationships, all of those were before I was 16. And it was all of those were in an attempt to kind of turn myself straight. Like, yeah. I can do this. <laughs> I can do this. Like, buck up, Jay. <laughs> right. And, yeah. And of course, that doesn't work. So when you were 17 and you had, were you still in high school when you had your yes. first boyfriend? Yes, I had, I had a boyfriend. He had already graduated high school. Okay, so he was. And he would give me a ride to high school in his little, um, I can't forget what kind of car it was, but it was a little Mitsubishi something, very sporty car. My hot boyfriend would take me and drop me off at school in his hot little car, which did not help yeah. the situation. <laughs> <laughs> I met him through a very dear friend of mine who we, uh, who became my, my wife. We married. 
Okay, we put met, a pin I, in that story. Yeah, I put a pin in that story. I met her at the Rocky Horror Picture Show. We were Rocky Horror Picture Show friends. I was a fag. She was a fat girl. We just loved each other incessantly. And my first boyfriend was her little high school boyfriend, but not really boyfriend because he was hiding with her. That became my first boyfriend, Doug. Not to bring up Roseanne, I know she's a controversial uh, topic. As, I'm as sad always. that I'm sad about Roseanne because I have been such a Roseanne fan for a long time. I have a hard time because I have such a nostalgia for this show. I I used to come home from school every day and watch that show, and Darlene was my absolute idol. I wanted to be smart and sarcastic and funny, just like her. I played sports, you know, like she it was straight on the show, but like she had a lot, you know, um, right. a lot of that. So like I have a hard time with like having that nostalgia and then also like not agreeing necessarily with things that are happening now but Roseanne had this joke back in the 80s that was just like thank god for gay men because fat women wouldn't have anyone to go to prom with right or something like that and I'm like yeah and that like hit a lot of people I don't know if people get offended by that or if like some people to me they're like oh that's that's true it's funny and some people are like let's not put people in a fucking box like that um I've had um a few little stand-ups I've written where and I I I have great affection for the relationship between the fag and the fat girl because um first of all my fat girl friend who became my wife, uh, Jill, is no longer fat. <laughs> she's she's grown old. She's lost weight. She's looking living great. So um, there's that. But um, there's such a there's is something that can't. If you're not a fag or you're not a fat girl, you can't understand that bond when you're teenagers. It's like you're both so outcast. You're both in love with the same boys. You're both like, you're in the same situation where if you could, you would change it, but nothing's going to change. Um, and there's just a bonding, but that happens with those, those two societal yeah. people that, uh. So what happened with your first boyfriend? Um, what, oh God, oh <laughs> Lord. I mean, <laughs> better not have to get into all the details. Yeah, it's, it, 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 it was a weird ending because, as fast as I can do this, he and I were dating. You <laughs> can he, take your time, we got time. He was, um. He was working at Putt Putt. Do you know what Putt Putt was? Like a little miniature golf. I know what Putt Putt is, yeah. And we were living in Mobile. He got promoted to the manager of Putt Putt in Montgomery. And I didn't want him to go to Montgomery with him. I didn't want to move. How far is that? Like four, It's like about a four-hour drive, okay. I think. You know, it was too far for me to, like, move just for him. I never wanted to be the type that was like, I'm going to move. Because, you know, all my friends, I had a job. I was working at a toy store in Mobile all the time. So, he moves to um, Montgomery, and we decide we'll stay together, but we'll just see what happens. I was like, keep in touch. I'll visit you. You'll visit me. He moved to Montgomery and very quickly hooked up with this other guy, mm. which I wasn't very jealous about that because I was like, okay, well, I didn't want to move, and I'm going to let this happen, see what happens. This guy, he moved up, basically moved in with him immediately, almost. <laughs> they moved in together almost immediately. Oh, wow, they're, they're like lesbians. <laughs> yeah, right. And that two-day U-Haul yeah. situation. And he um started charging crap on his credit card. And my boyfriend would call me and tell me how this guy that's living with him is like, you know, he just can't deal with this anymore. I'm like, oh, well. but he didn't want to kick the guy out because the guy didn't have anywhere else to go. If he had anywhere else to go, he would have wouldn't have just moved in so fast. Nonetheless, so, the guy, my Doug, the guy I was dating, tells me that he's going to just get another apartment and move out on this guy. Oh, shit. <laughs> he's just going to leave the guy in the apartment. He's like going to and dash, but... He's not going to kick him out. He's just going to move. <laughs> and um, I'm like, okay, that sounds like a good plan. So he goes and tells this guy on, let's just say, he goes and tells the guy on, like, Friday night, I'm leaving Monday morning. I'm leaving you with the house or this apartment, but I'm not going to kick you out, but I'm leaving. And I'm going to get my own little place. Goodbye. Wow. 
he comes home. This is where, hold your breath, folks. He comes home on Saturday night to find the guy shot himself in the closet what? with a shotgun. Holy shit. So Doug moves back to Mobile, freaked out, heartbroken, freaking disturbed. And this guy who had been ripping him off now becomes this like saint. Like, oh, poor Java. Like, so we tried to date again after that, but I could never, he could never get over that. And I could never get over his, he had then like, kind of like put this guy on some weird pedestal. And this guy was a total fucking jerk who did the ultimate, like, (laughs) the ultimate fuck you. That's intense though. It was. Cause you're probably he's probably feeling you know he's like I stood up for myself I'm so I'm doing this I'm moving on and then you come and that's just an intense it's jaw yeah yeah it is even saying it even telling the story still this is like yeah even like so ah! many years later you're like fuck it's still that's like, insane it's insane and yeah. yeah 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 so that that's what happened to Doug and um we never we never fought we never had a falling out it's just after that happened he couldn't get over his whatever for that guy and that guy he the guy he the guy had a uh, class ring that when Doug moved back to Mobile Doug was wearing the guy's class ring on a chain around his neck so every time I'm looking at Doug I'm looking at that fucking ch- yeah <laughs> that fucking <laughs> class ring going fuck you like, and he's <laughs> like oh poor Jeff and I'm like oh. so it's one of the weirdest first breakups I think ever because yeah. we never were mad at each other we never fought but that just yeah that changes things that kind of fucked and changed everything yeah 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 yeah, so that, that's my first boyfriend. Yeah, yeah. That's so the first love of my life. Don't move to Montgomery, Alabama. <laughs> fuck, fuck, fuck. Graduated high school. Did you go to college in Mobile? Um, I did hurt? not go to college. I was, I was, as as I was traumatized by school, and I'm still not like, like, yeah, I don't want to go back to school. Yeah, I would, I understand that. I had a little, um, like a, a little training in like retail management. Um, at one point, I went to massage therapy after I moved to New Orleans, but that's my only schooling. And what got you to New Orleans? Like, how old were you when you came? I was 26 okay. years old when I moved. And you came from Mobile? Yeah. You just were in Mobile until 26? And- yep. I haven't moved. I've lived in Mobile and New Orleans. That's it. And what got you? What? Why New Orleans? Um. Well, at the time, I was living in Mobile. I was in uh, the second great love of my life relationship. And he and I were fighting. We were living together. And uh, I knew I needed to get out of that. And uh, I actually had this this idea I was going to go to uh, art school in San Francisco, and I applied to art school, the San Francisco Art Institute. I got accepted. Oh, congratulations! And I spent a year thinking, "Oh, fuck this, I'm moving." But I, as I do, I didn't really make the realistic plans. <laughs> so I was going through a financial aid to find a place to live in San Francisco. I just oh, spent yeah. a year going, "Fuck this, I'm leaving." <laughs> and uh, there came the time when I was like, you know. I hadn't put, got my shit together. I, there was no way I could move to San Francisco. I don't have the money. I don't have a place. I don't have it. And uh, right around this time, this girl that I knew kind of from school, just a little bit. She came. She went to school, high school with me this one year. She was from New Orleans. She went to live with her grandmother. And she was like, oh, you want to come live with me? You moved to New Orleans. I'll live here. And I was like, and I'd spend a lot of times, you know, I often say the best thing about Mobile is New Orleans um, because it's like, a you know. Two and a half hour drive to New Orleans. And, and yeah, so she was like, yeah, come stay with me. And I was like, okay, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I moved here to find out that uh, she was a prostitute living in the Empress Hotel. And her assistance was renting me a room for a week. <laughs> 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 Which, God bless her, it got me here. But yeah. I was expecting a little bit better. So you didn't <laughs> know any of that until you I, got no, here? No, I didn't know any of she that. She just gave you an address? She was, like, she was like, yeah, come stay with me. I got places. Yeah. She would literally kind of gave me this like, oh, you can come stay with me. I was like, cool. So what happened? So that week you're in this hotel and she's doing her thing and 
you found a place job like yep. how was that like that's gotta be so crazy to move somewhere where like the one person you know is not who you thought they were right yeah and i knew no one else and by the end of the week i was working at there used to be a place on rampart street called hula maze and it was like a laundromat and a restaurant and yeah by the end of the week i had a job at hula maze never looked back never looked back and what got you started performing i when i moved to new orleans in 1997 uh one of my Thoughts and then was that I wanted to do uh, poetry nights because I, I I still write journals and write little sappy, sad poetry. Um, you know, I, I'm diagnosed and medicated for depression at this point. I know that. So I have like dark thoughts and all this. So I write all this, all this sappy poetry. So um, when I first started, when I first moved here, I probably spent a year going to poetry nights thinking, oh, I'm going to get up. I'm going to do it one day. I'm going to get up and do it one day. Um, and I eventually did. I got up and started reading poetry. So that's probably my first voluntary, like, that type of performance. Um, I'd done, like, drag shows, you know, just kind of. Okay, done, so you'd perform drag? No, not, no. Before I met left Mobile, I, I had done some drag performances. Um, because I had a lot of drag queen friends, I was like backup performed for most of them. And I did a few little campy drag shows, like, you know, a little Miss Trailer Park or something, just once every now and then. Not regular drag, just like every now and then. Stupid, Do you crazy have a drag. Drag name? Um, my drag name is Grace Divine. I have a drag character that I do called, um, Xanax Joplin, which is like a Janice Joplin impersonation. <laughs> That's a great name. That I just get. And I literally, I cannot do that. So, and I've, I've got it in the closet. I haven't done it in years, but, um. Just bring it back out. It's just like a big wig with, you know, but yeah, I've had the outfit made specific. And, uh, yeah, I just get as lit as possible. I don't usually drink, <laughs> and I go out and purposely get drunk just for the purpose of the, these shows. You're dedicated I, to the character. Yeah, yeah, but I, it's, it's like a camp camp drag thing. But um, to stand up and talk, like, that's totally different. And that's I started that with, like, poetry nights. And uh, before Katrina happened, I actually, from my poetry, I had a friend of mine who was a musician, and he started writing little bass lines to my poetry. And uh, we formed a little band. It was, like, three of us. It was, like, me... And a bass player and a guitar player. And uh, the band was called Marshmallow. And we were doing little shows, just a few shows, um, pre-Katrina. And me and the guitar player were actually talking about doing like this little comedy at True Brew. They used to do the comedy shows at True Brew in the CBD. And we were talking about going and doing some little open mic comedies. Before Katrina, like right before Katrina happened, we were kind of talking about that. So when I um, evacuated for Katrina, I spent time specifically thinking... You know, there was all this discussion, like, how New Orleans was going to be so depressing. It was going to be, like, this, this industrial town. New Orleans is going to die. Nobody's, nobody's going to go yeah. back. It's going to be sad. And I had this very clear thought, like, I need to go back to New Orleans and make people laugh. That's what I need to do. And that became, like, a, a passion. It became, like, my, like, freaking goal. And, uh, yeah, so I spent years just with just that. That's, the years after Katrina, I was really doing a lot of comedy shows. I was just hard at it. Where'd you evacuate to? Um, we went to Short Mountain, Tennessee. Do you know of the Radical Fairies? I do, a little bit. Yeah, the Radical Fairy, um, the main Radical Fairy Mountain, there's a few sanctuaries around the world now, but uh, the main Radical Fairy Sanctuary is Short Mountain, Tennessee, and we went to evacuate at the Radical Fairy Mountain. Okay, that's a good... I, I had a lovely, lovely evacuation, actually. Yeah, like that doesn't sound t- as terrible as a lot of other stories. I know, I, I evacuate, and I was actually, I was born in a hurricane, so I had always oh. said I would never evacuate from a hurricane, but I spent the whole night before, like, looking at it, like, mm, this is going to be bad. And I evacuated just with the thought that, like, 
I hadn't gone grocery shopping. I'm like, oh, I hadn't gone grocery shopping. I don't have anything to eat. Everything's going to be closed for a few days. I was not, I didn't evacuate because I thought it was going to be a catastrophe. I evacuated just because I hadn't, didn't have supplies to get through two or three days. Like, <laughs> um, so I went with a friend of mine and, and, uh, we went to Jackson, Mississippi initially because his parents lived there. We spent, and, uh, we spent on um, two or three nights there and then we went to Short Mountain, Tennessee for like six weeks. All right. And, uh, when, when you got back, like, how was that? It was, was yeah. your place okay? Was my place was okay? Yeah, I had done all this like zenning out on oh it's all just stuff if it's all gone whatever. But the whole time I was up there, I was like, I'm moving no matter what, come what may, I'm going back to New Orleans. And so you I, had already decided that. Yes, I, I just you're watching all the news footage. Regardless, yes, yes, and places like that Circle Grocery Store was just like a few blocks from my house, and there was like that famous image of like Circle Grocery Store oh, like yeah. halfway just, underwater. So yeah. I was like. Not far from that. So I had every reason to believe that, like, my place was ruined because it was not far from that. But I got back and, yeah, my untouched. My place was untouched. Oh. But the rest is, like, I came in, like, six weeks after and it was just, it was shocking. Shocking. I mean, anybody who was here knows it was just like. Yeah, no, I've heard a lot of stories from people shocking. coming back because, like, power wasn't on roads, like, where you couldn't drive anywhere. Yeah, nobody had come through and cleaned was, the roads off. Like, yeah, it just. Like, yeah. nothing was open. Like, just, nothing, yeah, it was nothing. just tough to. To even be back here and like knowing New Orleans as it was before, right? So that's that's so great that you were like, I'm gonna take this opportunity to bring comedy and laughter and like make that my goal. I felt it need, yeah. It wasn't. It was. It came to me. It wasn't like, it, yeah. I can't even take credit for it necessarily because it just was like, oh, that's what you need to do. And, and you I did just, it. I just did it. Like I just did it. Yeah. And you, I, yeah, you had started a show off of Bourbon Street somewhere? Yeah, we did, um, with Lene and Stevie G, um, we did, um, The Game of Laugh, which is an improv, short form improv stand-up show, um, at Yo Mama's from 2006 until 2012, I think. At one point we were doing twice a week. We did it at least once a week, but at one point we were doing it twice a week for a little while before we kind of broke up with Yo Mama's. We went into Yo Mama's because they were like, uh, when we started it was like right after Katrina, they wanted to kind of drum up some business, get people yeah. in the bar and all. And uh there came a point at which they you know, they, they like and they were so accommodating in the beginning. They like made us a stage upstairs and it was like really nice. And uh there came a point which they just decided they'd make more money <laughs> just putting in some more booths and selling more burgers, you know. Like they they, they, they didn't need burgers. to right. They didn't need to drum up business anymore. They didn't need us yeah. bringing people in. It's too bad because like you helped them drum up the business that right. they now had. Yep, that's the way that it goes. Got yourself removed from That's the way it goes. There was there was um a few years that I would every week I would get dressed up in this big fur chicken suit and go dancing down Bourbon Street, passing out flyers to promote the uh, comedy show and yo mamas. And once we got the people there they let us out. We had a fur chicken suit in New Orleans. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. I would. You I were would, dedicated to. I would have to in. prepare like my Saturdays revolved around that. I like I couldn't eat too much, you know, like that those days. And and not only that, not only that, I would have to. I mean, and I did it. I did it for at least two or three years weekly. Like I, I made sure I didn't miss a week, <laughs> and uh, even summer and all that. And I would not only get dressed up in a fur chicken suit go. Dancing down Bourbon Street from like, was it, uh, St. Peter all the way to Canal Street and back, dancing down, passing out flyers, then go back, take it all off, dry myself off as much as possible, and get on stage and do a damn comedy show. Yeah, I was like, that's impressive. <laughs> yeah, right. So, um, yeah, I always, and I always thought like, 
you know, if I ever become a big, famous, successful comedian, I'll know I've paid my freaking dues. <laughs> I've oh, done yeah. the comedy dues. I've, like, pounded the pavement for You'd it. You'd have a great story when you're sitting on that couch <laughs> with Jimmy Fallon. Exactly. Right. This is my first couch, right? Yeah. So, Amanda Gollum <laughs> is my first couch. Thank you. Yeah, we have, these are chaise or chaise lounges. I, I don't know. know and the called. desk right in front. Yeah. The very know. quiet, silent studio audience. Yes, yes, of course. The cats are not allowed in this room, so otherwise we would have a studio Aww. audience that would interrupt us the entire time. No, I'm good with Knock cats. everything over. I'm all for cats. I, I love them, but sometimes it's like, hey, be quiet. We have this one cat. We were doing a movie night, and my cat, Bella, every time, like in the middle of the movie, when it got to like a quiet part or a creepy part, like she just, <laughs> meh, like just, this, yeah, like she knew the exact, like she like sits there in the middle of the room, mind you, like she knew exactly where to be and just waited and waited. And then it was like the <laughs> loudest meows. And we're like, dude, what? And she's like, attention now. Now. My cats always make noise when, when he wants food. I have two cats. One of them actually doesn't make noise at all, really. And the other one, like, whines right around when he wants food. Yeah. That's it. Other than that, they don't really make noise. Oh, no. My Bella, the oldest one, she complains about everything. If we um, get her food she doesn't like, she's meowing. If she can see the bottom of the bowl, she's meowing. If there's no water, she's meowing. If the litter's not changed. <laughs> if we didn't pet her enough. If, like, I'm petting her, but and not She's the getting right old. Way. She's getting old. Yeah. Special needs. Yeah, they're all... <laughs> <laughs> she's got special needs. Yeah, I know. She's, she's beautiful. But let's go back to our pin. Your friend Jill that you married... Yes, this and it, it is the story that almost defines me. Um, I mean, it really does define me, and many people know the story. I've said it a million times. Um, I, when I was 19 years old, first of all, I had my name legally changed. I was not born J. Tombstone. I had my name legally changed for my 19th birthday. I was born James Frederick Thompson Jr. Um, I did not have a good relationship with James Frederick Thompson Sr. From a very young age, I decided I was going to change my name. So I changed my name on my 19th birthday, which in Alabama, you had to be 19 to have it done without parental consent. That was the first day. Yep. Okay. The first day I could legally have my name changed. 18 to 19, you're an adult, but they don't trust you to change your name. Right. And then you hit 19, and now you're mature enough to... What's a weird thing to choose? At least then... At least then. I don't know if it's still that way, but I had my name changed the first day I legally could. And uh, that was uh, August 17th, 1988. This coming up birthday, I will be Tombstone longer than I was in my previous name. Oh, So it's a big deal for me. It's a big <laughs> deal because I actually had my name changed. So, point. Let's go back to it. So, um, right after I had my name legally changed in 1988, I've always been a radio kid. I've won lots of stuff off radios. And um, me and my girlfriend, I say girlfriend, fat girl, we, I, she knows I was gay. We met at Rocky Horror Picture Show. And it was one of those people that you just meet. The first night we met at Rocky Horror Picture Show in Mobile, Alabama, we spent 72 hours awake on Jolt and Viverin, just like in love with each other. Have you ever met anybody like that? You're just like... I have never been awake for 72 hours. When you first meet somebody, you know. Like you just met them and you know like this is like somebody special. You're just like, ah! Like you will be in my life forever. Yeah. Jill and I were like that. And we were so... I mean, we're both so young, and we were just so excited by each other. I, it's hard to say why, but we were just like, ah! And we went to Rocky Horror every Friday and Saturday night. She had actually graduated high school when we met, and I was still in high school, but she would take me to high school. I'd spend the night at her house. And like, like, she had just she had just graduated and was, like, living on her own. So I was always at her house, like, you know, and she had her own car, and it was just, yeah. So um, one night we were, one morning, she was driving me to school, and we were listening to a little morning show, and the morning radio show, the like morning radio show, was giving away an all-expense-paid wedding. 
with a honeymoon trip to Las Vegas and like a thousand dollars spending money. That's, and that's the, some cash. And the kicker was the most original entry wins. And we both <laughs> looked at each other like, if, if I'm nothing, I'm nothing if I'm not original. You're like, get that Jolt Cola. Like, I can this. get original. And Jill was working at a print shop and um, we printed up this little newspaper called the Tombstone Times. That was our entry. And we told these true stories with real pictures of ourselves. We just put like a little romantic slant to all the stories of stuff we'd done <laughs> to make it seem like we were just in love. And, um, which we were in love. I mean, we truly were just obsessed with each other at the time. And we won this wedding. We won the wedding. And we got married. It was broadcast live on the radio and on local news <laughs> TV in Mobile, <laughs> Alabama. Uh, Al Green, the man who sings Let's Stay Together. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Performed the wedding. And he's a pastor, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, he sang Let's Stay Together Our Wedding. And, oh my God, and, that's such a beautiful wedding. And married us on a billboard. It was like on a billboard <laughs> in the busiest intersection of Mobile, Alabama. Do you have a picture of that? There's so many pictures okay, of that. I'm There's look it up. so many pictures. We're gonna, we'll, we'll put it on our Instagram and Facebook for so everyone out pictures. there. I, I want to see that. And, um... Uh, yeah, and Jill and I got married, but it should be noted that, like, um, somebody called because, uh, there was, like, a second runner-up, and there was a second runner-up. There came a day which we had to, like, get in the little cherry picker and go up to the billboard, like, before, to practice <laughs> to see if we could do it, because that's a big part of the wedding, was it was going to be on this billboard in the busiest intersection. Yeah. Um, so, and the little first runner-up couple was there. And they're like, if y'all can't do it, we'll split the money with you. And we're like, fuck you, lady. <laughs> Somebody called the radio station. And the, uh, the owner of the radio station with like the program manager and a line of lawyers sat Jill and I down and we're like, we've got this, uh, call. And, um, they say that you're gay and you two are faking it. Holy and shit. we're like, no, we love each other. And they're like, actually, we don't care. But if you get divorced or do anything to make us look stupid, we can sue you for the full retail value of everything we're giving you. Just oh, so you know. And geez. we're like, fine. No problem. We're not getting divorced yet. And yeah. Are you still married? No. We, 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 uh, <laughs> we got, got divorced soon after. We, we figured I was not going to get married. And she, we'd wait until she met someone who fell in love, which did eventually happen. And when that happened, yeah, we got divorced. Oh, man. When you first said, like, you guys got married, I was like, was it a health insurance thing? And this was way better. <laughs> I, right. It, I, it, yeah. And the thing is, I just had my name changed. Like, like that happened. Like, I had my name changed in August. The We got married in November. So, it became this defining thing. Like, everybody in Mobile, anybody who knew me at all knew about this. And people in Mobile, people who were in Mobile then will still now remember it. It was just such a weird big deal at the time. I think that's cool. When my parents got um, engaged, apparently, they, like, made a fake newspaper, and they brought it home to my dad's mom, my grandma, and they like, oh, look at this newspaper. And she said, oh, that's great, dear. And she didn't even look at it. And they, like, made this whole thing for her. So I was like, that's cool. You had, like, a newspaper thing, Yeah, too. I think Jill probably still has one of the newspapers. I, I She's been better about keeping things. But, yeah. Yeah. It was, like, it was a big deal, yeah. And and it's, it, it, to this day, it, it's a fun thing for me because I... I can't really, Jill and I are still in contact. She's still in, she's in Birmingham, Alabama now. Um, and we don't see each other much, but we're still in touch through Facebook and all. Um, but it's a very fun thing. And I know when I do it to go, well, my ex-wife, and I just throw it out there. <laughs> just like, well, when my ex-wife, I talked to her last time just to like drop the bomb in the room and people are like, what? But, but, Wait a what? minute. <laughs> Ex-wife? Like, I know what's coming when I do it. I, it's, yeah. But it's what she is. I mean, she, I can't really define her as anything else. She is my ex-wife. 
And it, like when you see her now, is it just like old times? Like it's like a, a day hasn't been missed. Yeah, it's actually I, it's been a few years when I've seen her since I've seen her, and the last time I remember, we were both kind of worried because it'd probably been like a decade since we've seen each other. And I was going up to Tennessee. I was actually going to the Fairy Mountain in Tennessee all by myself, and um, I was going to see her before on my way. And and we both, I think we both were a little worried that like. We haven't seen each other. What's it going to be like? Will we just be bored with each other? You know, that to me, that would be the worst between yeah. me and Jill is if we saw each other and just were like, oh, hey, or, yeah. you know, we're not, I don't know. That, if the electricity was not there, it would be weird and I would be a little upsetting. On my way to see her, I ran out of gas. Because <laughs> <laughs> I just, yeah, I just miscalculated where I was going and I was like, oh, I'm excited about seeing her. So I had to call her from the side of the road. She had to drive not far, like, because I was going to see her anyway. But, yeah, the fact that she had to, like, come and get me, it, it just, yeah, it, it, it was like, it's all still there. Yeah. Nothing's gone. And yep. that's my ex-husband. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I haven't seen her. Well, actually, she showed up to my, my dad's funeral, so, which is not quite the same, but it was still. Yeah, different circumstances. But there's still, that, that one little thing with me running out of gas, going to see her, like, kind of like, yeah, we're good. We're good. All's yeah, good with awesome. us. <laughs> you uh, think you're going to be in New Orleans forever? I think so. I I was very adamant for a long time saying I'm never, ever leaving New Orleans. But it's so changed these days. I'm not as adamant saying I'm never leaving, but I also don't have any plan to go anywhere else. I, now I'm more like, I don't know where else I would go. I don't... There's nothing in my mind that's better than New Orleans, but New Orleans is going, it's like, I don't know, it's getting more annoying to live here. It's getting more expensive and more annoying. I used to always say I love New Orleans because it was easy to live here broke. Like, you could be broke and live here comfortably. And that's becoming less and less true. Because I didn't come here till 2008. So I came here, you know, way after you. And you you were here before. I was here after Katrina. Katrina was in 05. Um, so I didn't get to see, like... I, I got to see the residual. Like, I came in a few yeah. years later when a lot of rebuilding efforts were happening, but also a lot of destruction had happened. I didn't get to see it before that. And I really wish I had, you know. But then sometimes I wish I hadn't because it might make me sad for, like... it's a, It was a magical time. It really was kind of this weird, magical time that, like, just can never be recaptured. And you just kind of kind of accept that. Like, it's never going to quite be like that again. What's the, what's the, like, gay scene like in Mobile? Are there gay bars? Is there, there's, I mean, you said like, there's some drag. There's, like, a block... Okay. <laughs> There's like a block that's like four to six bars that live that are like right on this like one two block area of Mobile, Alabama, and some of them there's like the same bars but they open and close under different names, um, in the same little like two block area. Then that's kind of the Mobile gay scene. Yeah, that's what they do in Vegas too, but they do it to like make them trendy. So like you'll go to one like the Bellagio had this club called Lights, and then two years later I came back and it was called something else, but it was the same place, and it was just to make it like cool again. And I guess it works because they're popular. I don't know. I don't understand exactly the whole like why they're, they're always open and closing, but um, yeah, it's always been kind of the same little area downtown Mobile, this little two block area that's like the gay strip. And what do you do for like work? I'm, I'm money. I wish I wish our comedy and drunk tunes and yeah, drag I'm, and improv. I wish that paid all the bills, but unfortunately, not yet. That's the big question for me right now. I actually was working at the co-op um, until recently when my dad died, and I like I had this whole little like I can't deal with customer service people right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like kind of in grief, so I quit, and I've, I'm kind of unemployed now, and kind of questioning that very big question. Like I can't. I mean, I've got a little money to live on. I'm not, like, dying, but 
I need to kind of figure out where my next income gig is going to happen. I don't really know. That's the cool thing. Like, you're at this brink of, like, you could do anything you want, but also that's overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it would be great for me to be able to, like, live off money of performing. I don't know if that's even realistic. Um, but, and mostly because my, my big downfall as a comedian is that I don't self-promote. I'm not a self-promoter. I never, and I've said it to all my friends, I don't want to do comedy shows to force my friends to go to comedy shows. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I, I mean? I, I have the hardest time with that. People are like, tell me, like one of my coworkers lives two blocks from a bar I perform at pretty regularly. And she's just like, just tell me when you're there. And I'm just like, I don't want to bother you. Like, like if you had plans Thursday night, like go do your plans. Like you don't have to come see me. She's like, I want to, but I've, I'm trying to be better about it, especially well, having self-promotion. I know yeah. it's rough. It's rough. And you don't want to no, know, like I said, you don't want to like, because how often you've been like, Oh, I'm doing a show next Saturday. And they're like, I'm sorry, I can't make it. Like, yeah. I don't want you to even say sorry. I'm just trying to be nice and tell you where my show is. <laughs> yeah, but, but it's, it's that fine. you often get that, like, oh, I can't. Up. I'm so sorry. So sorry. Like, because you also don't want to be that person. We all see that person on Facebook that whether it's like comedy or something else that they're just promoting the thing that they do so much that you're just like you're like, should I block them? Like, should I just like right. ignore their? Because no, I'm never going to your damn comedy show. <laughs> it's just like too much. So I'm like, I don't want to be too much, but I also want people to know where I'm going to be. So it's that finding that balance, which is hard. I'm I don't even try. I just generally don't say it. everything. And now every now and then I'll post something. I'm like, eh, I'm excited. I'm like upcoming. I'm doing um on the 18th of this month. I'm doing for the New Orleans Shakespeare Festival at Tulane. They're doing an improv show based on Julius Caesar. Okay. That right? sounds interesting. I know. It sounds very interesting. Sounds very highbrow. And I'm going to be the Caesar. It's the, it's a big surprise. Because oh. everyone else is going to be doing these like people from Tulane doing all that super Shakespeare talk, which I can't do to save my life. <laughs> Therefore, I'm going to be the Caesar. <laughs> this, uh, I was like, I would pay to see that. <laughs> I'm, yeah, so, and, and that's like, I'm very excited about it. I'm actually very excited about that, but I'm not great about promoting it. <laughs> well, now you are. <laughs> but I don't need to promote it, actually. I don't need to promote that one. Yeah, but, like, um, they're pretty well attended. Yeah, yeah, so they've got their own promotional thing. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. Like, when you work, like, I'm good when people call me. I'm like, hey, you want to do, like, sure, I'll do the show. I've got that, sure. Um, but uh, I'm not great at promoting beyond that. I've never been. And you, you were talking about Brown Improv, which is like the longest running improv troupe in, in New Orleans. What, yeah. what got you into that? How long have you been in it? Um, I've probably been associated with Brown for um, probably about two years now. Um, and uh, it's just uh, my friend Bob Murrell, who I've done lots of shows. Do you know Bob Murrell? Oh, Bob's Every, Bob's in everything. Bob's in freaking everything. Yeah, um, I just went to Baton Rouge for an open mic, and he was going to be the headliner. And I'm like, Bob, what are you fucking doing in Baton Rouge, dude? And he's like, I'm headlining tonight. Bob's everywhere. He, he, he really is amazing. So he kind of got, he was running the, I don't know, sign up or whatever. So, and he would repeatedly ask me, and I was just like, Because eh, eh, eh. we did Drunk Tunes. Bob Bob came in kind of near, near, the, near the end of Drunk Tunes with us. He and I are little, we're, we're little buddies in performance at this point. And you like improv as an art form? I enjoy improv. I feel I'm. I feel I am good at improv. It's yeah. one of those things. Like I don't. I'm not into the improv scene. A lot of people are very into improv. I just feel I've done it enough, and I'm good at it. I can. I can throw me with with any improv group. I can hold my own because I've done it enough. And yeah, I enjoy doing it. I don't enjoy going to see it. Strangely <laughs> enough, <laughs> and those little shows where it's like. A whole bunch of improv. And I, I personally prefer short form. Do you know the, the whole like long form versus short yeah. form argument? 
I find long form exhausting and boring. And that tends to be what they're teaching at the school in New Orleans, which I won't even name. Um, <laughs> we don't talk about it. <laughs> but they, they're all long form and they teach long form. And I find long form just exhausting and boring. I love short form like games. And short form is like getting the audience inter, you know, it's very that's interactive. That's what I like. I just like audience participation and right. something to me, like that. To me, that's what audience. Because I'm invested if it's my suggestion. If you're like, name a place. And I'm right. like, mobile. And then I'm like, what's he going to do with my suggestion? Then I'm, I'm invested right. in See, it. See, I, I, my theory is that's what people go to improv for. They want the interaction. Yeah. And when you don't do, you do long form where like there's no interaction. It's just a bunch of people just jerking off on stage, basically. <laughs> like, you know. Especially if everybody on stage knows what they're doing. They're all seasoned performers. Yeah. And they're not getting any suggestions from the audience. Like, where's where's the fun or magic in that? It's like, you all four know each other. You're just like, blah, blah, blah. The game we did, for the, the show we did so long in, in the quarter was, um, the, the, the we had this big uh, game board. And then we had, like, little Velcro game pieces that would, like, stick to it. And we'd split the, the room in half. This side's red. This side's blue. This seems for you. This seems for do. Which one's funnier? You get points. Move around the board, like so they're invested. Right, right, right exactly. And yeah. that's that's what I like. I like getting just getting people riled up. That's that's for me. That's fine. I just I just want like I think with especially with teaching improv, you should teach people multiple forms of improv and then let them see what they're better at or what they're more into. That sounds like a good plan. Maybe you should open a damn school, Amanda. I'm not opening a school. <laughs> Because the school around here doesn't seem to have an affection for short improv. They're quite against it, They won't even, like, open their minds to it, which I'm just, like, open your... Like, even with stand-up, like, I'm I'm a very much, like, set-up punchline, like, uh, classic kind of stand-up. And now I see there's all these different types of stand-up you can do. Um, and there's a lot of people who do more, like, a storytelling format, but it's still stand-up. And, you know, there's different methods where it's not just, like, okay, rule of three, like, these classic approaches to it. And I don't do that for me but i appreciate when other people do that and i've tried to do it i try to do more of a storytelling thing just to try it It doesn't fit me but like i think you're more of a storyteller more of like a longer yeah i'm not great at like making up things i you know um we did that with drunk tunes which was like a sketch comedy show sketch comedy cartoon show and the whole idea was we would sit and write sketches and it's a real challenge for me to just like make up stuff like i i excel in, in saying truth you know stuff that i find true real true stories from my heart real true opinions um most of my performance comes from that just being very true most of my stand-up performance comes from that even my improv kind of comes from me being just very me like yeah that's how i I am too and i have a hard time i do have a hard time with like any sort of fantasy like making up yeah yeah or just like making up random things i think my mind's too focused on like the the real part of it yeah so um yeah i don't do well at writing or making up jokes or kind of i do better at just like let me tell you this thing that happened. And, yeah. Have you ever had, like, career aspirations for your your art, essentially? Like, have you ever wanted to, like, write for SNL or move to Hollywood and be an actor? Or was that any on your radar at all? No, I my I feel very strong. I still feel very strongly that my passion and my universe is telling me to stay in New Orleans and make people laugh. And um, as long as I'm doing that on some level, like, I don't need to be... Doing one every week, although the more I do it, the better I feel generally. Um, but as long as I've kind of got like, whatever my next thing's going to be, as long as I'm working towards some next comedy show, some next something, some next something, I'm, I'm, feel like I'm fulfilling what I need to do. I would love it if I could somehow move that into like making more money than just, because <laughs> I mean, I don't think I've ever in my whole comedy career made more than like 
40 bucks in one night ever. Yeah. <laughs> like, 40 bucks? What? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, I don't see myself being able to ever survive off that, especially when I'm only doing like one, two shows a week. Yeah. And 40. But, um, I don't know. I, I had this thought, maybe like corporate, teaching corporate improv. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Teaching a little corporate, little, you know, they're always having those little corporate conventions. Improv. Oh, they love that stuff. I know. How much could we charge for that, Amanda? <laughs> they have the money. That's the thing. And also in the afternoons when they're See, doing the their thing. conferences, they... I, I, I used to work um, for Kaiser Permanente, which is like a... I guess I think they're a nonprofit hospital in California. And I was in charge of a conference one... For it was like one week. And the first day, the only complaint I got was I didn't give the adults snacks at 3 p.m. Because <laughs> um, they needed their sugar high. So like I if you came talking. in and did some improv, you they wouldn't need their jolt. They wouldn't need their, their Snickers bars. They could just like get into it. I've, I've actually given that thought. That's a good thought. But you, you need like a little group. You need a little group that's dedicated to help you kind of get... But that, yeah, that sounds where the money is. Those old corporate events. Oh yeah, they got all the money. They're ridiculous. We got to get our hands on some of that. Yeah, <laughs> go teach corporate improv. I don't even know what that would be like. I just see a lot of suits in my head. That's okay though. Yeah. You just kind of walk them through all the little stupid little improv games. They leave thinking they've had a great time. I'm going to give that some serious thought. See how that makes how make that happen. Do you write at all? Yes, yes. I write journals, and I have a project that I'm working on now, and I've been working on it for a long time, an uh, uh, autobiography called The Complete Biography of James Frederick Thompson Jr., which is my life biography from birth till the day I changed my name. And uh, the way I'm writing this book, because uh, I was a, a depressed, <laughs> abused, bullied, suicidal little teenager... I'm writing this book as if I were 19 years old and about to kill myself. Oh, shit. So, it's it's a rough thing to get through. I know that's dark place to take the comedy uh, podcast. No, it's, it's, and people come on here and they think <clears throat> it has to be comedy and light. It doesn't yeah. have to be. And I know you'd mentioned depression before and I was going to ask you because I think the way that you're dealing with it by making people laugh and, and bringing light to the world, even when you're feeling dark, is really amazing. Yeah. Um, but yes, I'm writing this book and it's, it takes a lot out of me because it's taking me back to, and the book, the book is written in chapters through school. So everything's kind of done in the, the chapter first grade. And then there's like what was going on home in my home life at that time. Second grade, what was going home in some home in second grade, third grade, what was going home in my, um, because like I said, it was always this different dynamic at home was just like open, accepting, loving place that was fucking weird but they were all nice and accepting and loving me and then i would go out into the world to these people who just thought i was a fucking alien you know like just I, for being who you are right just i knew i was not part of them so um yeah it's ta- i'm going back to all those like and writing in detail all these like stories of being beat up in the locker room and just all all of it all of it and it's 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 rough it's rough, and I don't even know why I'm doing it, but I'm determined to get through it. Yeah, it's like something's compelling you to <laughs> yeah, just push get through it back there. I, and I'm I'm probably a few months away from getting through it. And I've probably been working on this for 
over a decade, really. Oh, wow. Well, whenever you're done, let us know. We'll, you know, throw it out there to everybody. And I, let them I have know no promise that it's yeah. even going to be released. Once I'm done with it, I don't even say I'm getting letting it out there. <laughs> I just feel I need to do it. Yeah. I don't even know why I'm doing it. Well, if you ever put it out there, we'll let you know. If not, just it's a great project for you. Was your mom Was your mom out? When, like, So she had a girlfriend that moved in. Was mm-hmm. that her quote-unquote roommate? Yes, Like, yes. how was... How- and um, she came out and that her whole, her mother and her father and that whole side of the family, when I was 10 years old... Stop speaking to us totally. Wow. I never heard from them again. Well, I did hear from them. People died little bits, but in general, I never had a relationship with that side of the family ever again. And at ten, I didn't even know why. I was just like, nope, we're never going over there anymore. Just it just it, there was never a like. Yeah. Let me sit down and tell you. We just never got, went to those grandparents ever again. Well, that must have been hard for your mom. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate my mother for taking that because if if she hadn't done it, then I would have gotten it, you know, on my own. So, you know, so there was that. And well, I don't know. Yeah. Because I also had an older sister who was gay. So there was a lot going on in my family. (laughs) But yeah, yeah, I appreciate that my mother took it. You know, she dealt with that from her parents because I would have had to have dealt with it if she had not. Um, so I mean, yeah, I mean, I appreciate my mom for that and, and, and having her. Being very accepting of me regardless. I always knew that. That was one of those things. I've, you know, I think people that are really have major problems have like no one that they feel depends on them or loves them or, you know, really cares. And despite all the other crap that bad that happened in my life, I always had that like, I know my mother loves and cares for me unconditionally. And that makes, you know, that makes a giant difference. Yeah. And you also had, because a lot of people, when they come on the podcast, and I experienced this too, like didn't have gay role models growing up. Yes. Like, we didn't have real life people who were gay or out or who were okay with it or who were willing to talk about it or even explain, you know, what this is, what that is. So like you had that. Yeah. And not only did I have that, my mother, when she got got with her girlfriend when I was 10, um, was also around the age of the VHS tape. And they had their own little project of just, like, searching it out and finding these little gay movies. Like, so I saw, like, Cruisin' and Personal Best and, uh, you know, all these little little gay movies that most people would not be exposed to, particularly Mobile, Alabama. But my mother and her girlfriend literally had this little personal project of just seeking out gay movies and, like, making copies for our own little personal gay and lesbian movie library movie club (laughs) yeah exactly it was it was unusually um unusual but i'm very glad it happened because i look back like victoria victoria i was looking up watching victoria victoria when i was like 10 12 years old or how you know like yeah all these movies that are like these gay classics i was watching them at a very young age yeah and that other people were like we're not showing this to our kids we don't want our kids to be exposed to this read the bible right right my mother's like here look at this Here's Victoria. Here's drag queens. Here's, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, that's really cool. I, I really had a great time talking with you. I can't believe, like, the time has flown by so fast. How are we done? We can always keep talking, but... Uh, <laughs> well, um, we have gone far. We need time. We need to leave time because we're going to play a clip of, of some of your work that you yeah. do so that people can, you know, see your art and, and get out there and find you. Um, do you have any website, Instagram, Facebook, anything... No. You want to, yeah, I'm you're like, I don't, I don't self-promote. I'm terrible at self-promotion. <laughs> I'm going to get me a, my own little podcast or something going one day, but no. Jay is wearing a, it's a shirt with a bright neon cat on it, and the cat has glasses and is staring right at me this whole time, and it's been amazing. Yeah, I made a decision uh, uh, last year that I'm only wearing cat shirts from now on. 
Yeah, I was like, do I? No, I don't and have a cat my... shirt. Damn it. I was Somebody gave me one cat shirt, and then I bought a second cat shirt. And I was sitting the, the day I was, like, ordering my third cat shirt. I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to make this a thing. Yeah, you're like, I just need four more, and that's a week. Right, that's a week. And <laughs> I probably got, and then, then you learn once I, once you claim it, I'm only wearing cat shirts. Then people start sending you cat shirts. And ah. I've got many, many cat shirts now. I could I could go for a month with them. Well, I can't wait to see your next cat shirt. <laughs> Excellent. Right. Thank you, Amanda. Yeah, thank you, Jay. I sleep on your pillow and I purr on your head. I don't give a shit, I'm a cat. I brought you a lizard, yeah he dead. I don't give a shit, I'm a cat. You singing here kitty kitty, I ain't coming to be you. I don't give a shit, I'm a cat. Look at my butthole, it's shaped like you. I don't give a shit, I'm a cat. You cleaned up my litter, dude, thanks a lot. But I don't give a shit, I'm a cat. I'm still gonna do my business just outside the box. I don't give a shit, I'm a cat. Possums, I don't give a shit. Eating bugs, I don't give a shit. You wanna hug? I don't give a shit. Squirt guns. Hold on a second. Ooh, you're busy, you got kitty, go away. I don't give a shit, I'm a cat. Gonna jump on your desk, lay down on your workspace. I don't give a shit, I'm a cat. Updating Facebook, bitch, come on, please. I don't give a shit, I'm a cat. If your MacBook open, I'm walking across the keys. I don't give a shit, I'm a cat. Dry cat food, I think I'll pass. I don't give a shit, I'm a cat. The Nile River Valley used to worship my ass. I don't give a shit, I'm a cat. I'm getting fat. I don't give a shit, put me in a hat. I don't give a shit, give my head a pat. I don't give a shit, bring home another cat. Yeah, I'm a cat. I need to be free to spread my wings and fly. Of course, I mean that figuratively, as I cannot actually fly. I wish I could. I would fly up in the air fuck up all sorts of bird life. Probably permanently damage this area's ecosystem. Cause I'm a cat. Raccoons. I don't give a shit. Witches brooms. I don't give a shit. Lazy afternoons. I don't give a shit. Costumes. Dude, fuck you. My dander naked boyfriend sneeze. I don't give a shit. I'm a cat. Who's a pussy now? He got allergies. I don't give a shit. I'm a cat. Feel sandpaper when I give you a lick. I don't give a shit. I'm a cat. I'm high as a kite on catnip chronic. I don't give a shit. I'm a cat. Mark it up, my territory. I don't give a shit. I'm a cat. No matter what you spray, your cup is still gonna smell like baby. I don't give a shit. I'm a cat. Postman. I don't give a shit. Short attention span. I don't give a shit. Disarm Iran. I don't give a shit. Tuna can. What?
It's a very serious issue. <laughs> what are scabies? Now, you may answer that scabies is a sexually transmitted disease, which is true. You may say that scabies is an infectious skin condition, which is also true. But what scabies actually is, is a small mite in the arachnid family. So they're actually related to spiders. How does scabies spread? Scabies is spread by skin-to-skin -skin contact or what's known as secondary contact. So if someone with scabies sits in a chair, then you come along and sit in the chair afterwards, you can get scabies. You know how when you move to a big city like New Orleans from some small town where, you know, like Alabama, and you tell all your friends, hey, come stay with me in New Orleans. And then they come and they show up and then they stay for like nine months and then you have to kick them out, then all of a sudden you're the bad person. <laughs> what are the symptoms of scabies? Scabies is a small pussy little box that look like a rash and uh, spread like a rash but look like a mosquito bite. Uh, like when my friend Greg Cox came to stay with me from Mobile. <laughs> He started getting these little bumps and he didn't know what they were. Yeah. <laughs> Who can get scabies? Now, a lot of people think only poor people get scabies, only dirty people get scabies. That's not true. Anybody can get scabies. You can get scabies, you can get scabies, anybody can get scabies. Prevented. First of all, don't let Greg Cox come stay in your fucking ass. <laughs> 
if you remember nothing else from tonight, remember these words. Greg Fox gave me skates. <laughs> Thank you to our guest, Jay Tombstone, for sharing his world with you. Special thanks to Jessa Fallon and Ryan Golub for your help editing and producing the show. Thanks to all our friends and supporters. You can catch Greetings from Queer Mountain live in New Orleans, Austin, and New York City, and coming soon to San Francisco. Check out our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for more information. Facebook and Instagram, Near and Queer to My Heart. Twitter, Queer to My Heart. Thank y'all. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.